Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Jordan Bergen. I'm a recruitment consultant from CM Medical focusing on surgical markets globally. We talk to LinkedIn Live for another podcast episode featuring active surgical CEO, Todd Eusen, to discuss the impact of AI on minimally invasive surgery and what the technology means for the future of this space. I hope you enjoy it. Today we're discussing all things AI with an absolute expert from the space. We've got Todd Euston with us. Um, Todd, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, and, and thank you for that. I, I re- really appreciate it. It's nice to be with you. I'm not sure I would call myself an expert, but I, uh, I'm, I'm ha- happy to be here. My name is Todd Euston. I'm the CEO of Active Surgical. I've been in the medical world actually for about 30 years, and uh, this is my first foray into a startup journey over the last two years with Active Surgical. I've um, I've been in big companies. I, I spent uh, 13 years at Boston Scientific. Last role, I, I led the United States in the neurovascular space. I moved over to Smith and Nephew in orthopedics, um, and uh, had the opportunity to be the president of orthopedics for both uh, total joint trauma and uh, the full sports medicine divisions of the business. And then, uh, lastly, before I came to Active, I was the president of the medical uh, surgical groups at Olympus. So had all the medical divisions there. We had six medical companies, took it to 11 uh, separately run groups, and it was a great experience with all of them. So I had the opportunity to get over here to Active and uh, came here because this technology is something that's special and I think we can really make a difference in the world. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you for giving us a, an introduction into yourself, Todd. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like to go ahead and tell us the, the origins of Active Surgical, then how it came about. Sure. Active Surgical, uh, Dr. Peter Kim, our founder. Um, completed the world's first fully autonomous robotic surgery of soft tissue while he was down at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. From there, uh, he was approached by some um, uh, a few venture capitalists to say, let's begin that this should be a company. It was published data. And since then, we completed the world's first fully minimally invasive autonomous robotic surgery of soft tissue. We're building hardware agnostic surgical software that allows all surgical systems to collaborate with surgeons. And um, at the end of the day, we, before we go completely robotic, we have a technology that can program all scopes and robots to make sure that physicians are seeing things that they can otherwise not see uh, with the help of the system. So our our, our goal and our mission is to truly democratize surgical care. Uh, We want to extend insights from experienced surgeons all over the world and all surgical systems to ensure that world-class surgery can be done everywhere. Today, Active is basically considered we're a computer vision engine in the operating room, applicable to over 55 million procedures. And we envision the full future of collaborative surgery with surgical intelligence empowering scopes and robots to see what humans can't see. So basically we're taking your human judgment and wisdom, augmenting it by robotic precision and the power of insights uh, derived from some of the world's top surgeons, democratizing surgical care. And um, I like to say it as we're, we can't bring patients to the world's most experienced surgeons, but we can bring the world's most experienced surgeons and their insights to patients around the world. Fantastic, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for the, um, for the insight there. Um, Tom, in regards to, to AI technology, why do you think it's so crucial within the surgical space and, and getting this implemented? Well, I, I mean, if you, if you look at, um, there's a lot of variables today. Um, you know, in surgery from patient BMI to different disease states to abnormal anatomy. And uh, while we know that surgeons are some of the most educated and highly trained people in the world, there's some cases that will be, they'll see for the first time. 
So if you think about, um, as we look at it, the future of surgery will be driven by data. Uh, it almost follows a similar path as the advent of GPS. So if you think about uh, where you go today, Jordan, if you were going to the airport and I said to you uh, with GPS 10 or 15 years ago when those first systems came out, might say you're going to the airport, it takes you 10 kilometers from the airport because that's the shortest distance. Well, today with the advent of crowdsourced data sets uh, like Waze, it might, your system might tell you, I'm not going to take you 10 kilometers to the airport. I'm going to take you 15 kilometers to the airport, but I'm going to save you about 35 minutes because up ahead there's construction, there's traffic, uh, there's something in the road that's, that's causing a delay that you can't see, but I can see. So it's basically imagine aggregating data and insights from tens of thousands of surgeons performing laparoscopic surgeries. So visualization and imaging data from prior surgeries is aggregated, it's annotated by the surgical community, and it's combined with real-time visualization tools. And this can be used to effectively serve as a surgeon's roadmap uh, for the safest possible surgeries today. And that's really where we're, uh, the mix-up that we're going with today, take, or the comparison, I should say, the analogy to maps and, and ways to how that is applicable to surgery today. Brilliant, fantastic. And is this um, is this very standard in the AI space, or is Active approaching this in a different way? Um, the use of AI technology. Well, I mean, there's a lot of uh, technology that's out there. There's a lot of data, and there's a lot of data sets. So there's there's many companies that have become um, either recently acquired or um, they've they've raised tons of money that they're basically collecting data. They use OR sensors. There's electronic health records. There's um, surgical notes and annotations. Uh, they can give you the detail of case phase times. Uh, they could give you surgical analytics training, all of this interesting data that's out there, but none of it is being delivered in the operating room in game time, as I like to say. So a lot of this is either pre-op or post-op, how to be more efficient, um, how you'll be better if you, let's examine the work that you've done, or pre-op, you can really get a lot of information. What Active is doing is we're taking surgical video, we're taking quantified perfusion and blood flow data, we're taking surgical notes and annotation, we're, we're identifying case phase times, uh, complication likelihood or tissue identification, but we're putting that on the screen real time, like I was saying with that crowdsourced data sets and ways. Um, I like to look at it that the best doctors in the world cannot be in every procedure in the world, but their insights can, like I said before. So the fact that, um, the, Dr. Kim said it often when he thought of this technology and started the company. The power or knowledge should not be controlled in one person's head. Dr. Kim is a world-renowned pediatric surgeon, and when he was in Canada, he was doing all of a specific type of pediatric surgery, some aortic aneurysms for, for, for patients and children all over the country. Uh, it wasn't a high-volume procedure, but the fact um, Dr. Kim was thinking, the problem is if I'm the only one doing this, that's a problem. And if there's larger surgeries that are similar, how do we take the best of our surgical minds and program it into systems where others will have the access to it and, and the advantages of, uh, of utilizing it as well? So that's basically what we're, we're doing. We, we know there's a lot of tremendous companies, but the fact that we can bring it intraoperatively is what's really making the difference. Fantastic. Then. And, and so I guess this is all, it's obviously it's machine learning. This is data that's being inputted um, is this like a cloud-based then? So is this something that's got only accessible to, to active surgical or will this be um, open for other companies as well? Yeah, well, well, well right now the, um, 
Um, we, our technology uses AI. We turn signals from physiologic mechanisms um, such as blood flow and tissue perfusion um, into something that a surgeon can quickly digest and use to support their decisions. Um, if, if we present data the right way, we can help surgeons and OR staff um, of all experience levels. So our ability to contextually um, make awareness. So it, it, we're, we're trying to, uh, AI algorithms present information that's dependent on the phase of the surgery and we wanna make that possible. So we wanna let them know exactly where they are. So you'll see something, you'll know what something is and where something is and why it's there. We can, the, the goal of geofencing and, and creating landmines around key, key areas that you wanna avoid and key areas that you wanna make sure that you're, you're evaluating. So yes, it's machine learning, um, but it's also um, true AI and, and data sets and insights. And we have a proprietary um, annotation model that we've been able to uh, annotate a one hour surgical video on about 20,000 times faster than traditional humans. And that's one of the advantages to provide accuracy. So when the physicians get their data, it's gonna be accurate data. Fantastic, brilliant. Thank you for the insight. And then um, in terms of any sort of new product, AI or non-AI focused, there's always difficulties and there's always advantages and, and disadvantages and challenges that come up. And um, what would you say are the main um, challenges and, um, and advantages from AI being used in minimally invasive surgery? Um, so both business-wise and society-wise. Well, I, I think at the, like anything else, when AI is, um, uh, there has to be a belief that it's making a difference. I mean, um, if you think about, um, you know, the, it's a sexy term to say AI, but, you know, we have to make sure that we're making a difference for patient outcomes. So, the, so obviously, an uh, advantage of AI is also a challenge. Um, surgeons are scientific experts at a high level of certainty with all their instruments. Uh, while AI is learning, the confidence level uh, may be lower than what a surgeon desires. Uh, and they, we have to make sure that that confidence level is at an all-time high. So we depend highly on collecting and teaching our models with, uh, with immense amounts of, of expertly annotated data sets. So by doing this, we ensure that when the models are released for real-time inferencing, um, that they've been learned, that they have learned, our models have learned. So physicians need to have that level of confidence uh, in what you're delivering is factual. So uh, if you think about it, getting experts to annotate our data sets to the level um, and quantity needed is also difficult. What's different, I would say, in, in, in surgery than in the autonomous car industry, for example, uh, everyone knows that uh, with autonomous cars, what a stop sign looks like or a yield sign looks like. So um, when, you, when you go see that autonomously, uh, anyone can be considered a subject matter expert for annotation. So we can all go and annotate every time we see an octagonal sign or an octagonal shape, we know that's a stop sign for autonomous cars. But in the surgical case, it takes years of medical training to able to truly be able to identify some of the anatomical landmarks, which uh, slows the growth of our training and validation. So basically to combat this, we have designed, like I said, the active site uh, and active edge platform, which enables autonomous annotation of particular anatomic features. And we can basically take a uh, annotate 20,000 times faster. Here's the example, a one hour surgical video. There's 216,000 frames in a one hour surgical video, 60 frames per second, 60 seconds per minute, 60 minutes per hour, obviously. So when we wanna truly label and annotate with ground truth data from experts around the world, a one hour surgical video, true frame by frame to get the most accurate data, it's almost impossible. It's not scalable 
to for any one surgeon to sit there and do 216,000 frames. And as an example, we ran a vessel annotation study when we first got started. And to do one frame of true surgical annotation took about 10 minutes. So 10 minutes at 216,000 frames, not real scalable. Uh, that would take about four years to annotate a one hour surgical video every frame. So physicians over the years, they, they, they skip many frames, but they, they're, they're so smart and so bright that they're getting the main details in their labeling. Well, we, we continued over that uh, the first 10 weeks and then we got that down to three minutes a frame, still not scalable for a real business model. Today, through training of the models, through education and the work that we've done and through our algorithm, we can do a one, one frame of surgical video in three milliseconds, an entire one hour surgical video fully annotated and labeled with ground truth data by doctors, which can then allow it to be crowdsourced now, we can do the full one hour in 10.8 minutes. So all of a sudden that becomes scalable and we'll be delivering accurate information and data to our physicians. That's the biggest challenge I would think if, as a doctor, as a surgeon intraoperatively, the information you get, you need to trust. It can't be, well, we're pretty sure this is, this is a problem. You, you, that's not fair. And that, that wouldn't be fair to the medical societies. That wouldn't be fair to surgeons. And that wouldn't be fair ultimately to patients. So we have to make sure that the data we provide and the AI information is accurate and something that physicians can trust. Fantastic. And is it difficult to, um, obviously not every hospital is going to adapt to AI, AI technology yet. Is it difficult to, to sort of make them think this way and, and make them adapt to using AI or are they generally quite... Um, quite okay with it? Um, I, I think like anything else, um, the nice thing about the way we're launching our technology is we're not launching our technology to be an AI company. We have these AI skills and the, the AI advantages and of the insights that we're going to deliver. But we're starting with, um, you know, we're an intraoperative surgical intelligence company. We're starting with a device that can deliver real-time surgical overlays that have never been seen before. So we have an FDA uh, submitted product that's a 510K pending right now. It should be ready to go at the beginning of quarter two. That's called our active site delivery system. And this fits on any scope or tower in operating rooms today. And our first insight that we will deliver is the ability to see blood flow and perfusion data in real time without the use of traditional dyes. And today to see blood flow, physicians inject dye called ICG. Uh, they bring in... Uh, big capital equipment, or they, they need a specific new capital equipment from their scope manufacturers. We can take the active site image module and stick that right on your existing scope seamlessly between the camera and the scope to see blood flow and perfusion real time with the press of a button. There are digital visual overlays. We have heat maps. It's uh, wavelengths of light that are absorbed into the tissue and reflected back. So it's so our software and proprietary sensing capabilities will bring never before seen visuals of perfusion to the surgeon at the click of a button. So before we ever get into an insight, Jordan, or any kind of AI or data, we are walking into hospitals today with the opportunity to reduce uh, things such as anastomotic leaks, which uh, one, one anastomotic leak after a bariatric procedure, uh, which is basically inadequate blood flow after you cut something out, you sew it back together, that's called an anastomosis. What happens with anastomotic leaks is inadequate blood flow. There's no way to tell if there's adequate blood flow in a dye-based system if you had already previously injected dye into a patient. I'm not going to get all technical and, and, and clinical. A, I'm not that smart at it, but um, <laughs> you know, to, to be fair, but to be honest, anastomotic leaks are preventable. The third leading cause of death 
in the world are preventable medical errors, of which 26% of all preventable medical errors are preventable surgical errors. And many of these errors, these are patients did not go to the operating room with a terminal disease. So at the end of the day, um, patients that went to the operating room for a treatment of a certain procedure, they had a colorectal resection, a bariatric uh, gastric bypass, um, a laparoscopic cholecystectomy, which is just the removal of a gallbladder. And something occurred in the case caused by situational awareness, something the surgeon could not identify or see. And unfortunately, the patient had to be readmitted, complications arose, and, and oftentimes this is what leads for patients uh, expiring or passing away, not needed. So with active sight, our first generation of technology, to be able to see things that a, that a scope or a surgeon or that a human cannot see today will make a difference. And then from there is where all the fun starts with the insights and the collection of data and the cloud connectivity and the storage and the annotation, and then it's fed back to our active site image modules. So if we were coming out into the world, and sorry for the long answer, but if we were coming out into the world to, to share with um, hospitals that uh, we want to sell you insights or, or AI right off the bat, I, I, like most people, would say you're crazy. You got to prove something first. Yeah. But because we're in the hospital today with technology and a device that will help the patient in first order of measure, and then because of that device, we'll be able to collect what's called intelligent light data as well as traditional what's called RGB data, uh, we will be able to deliver these insights to a technology that's already needed in the hospital. And that becomes a full circle. I, I look at it as the Fitbit model. Uh, people did not, Fitbit did not set out to compete with Rolex to be a watchmaker. They, you need to wear the piece of hardware on your wrist so we can tell your heartbeat, your steps, what, what all the measurements that you're looking for your own health. But without, if you're not wearing the hardware, that does nothing. Similarly, by putting active sight into the cases today, we can do things that doctors are that need today with blood flow identification, helping to prevent certain diseases like a, or issues like anastomotic leaks or what have you. And then all of the data and the insights through the collection and annotation will be delivered back. So again, sorry for the long answer. No, it's a pleasure. I did want to share that uh, it, I, I don't think it would be uh, appropriate to run into a hospital today and say, hey, we have all the AI and start you start trusting this world. And, and this is the way things are going to be uh, moving forward. Um, I think we, we, we've, we're doing it the, the appropriate and professional way. Very step by step. Brilliant. And then um, I guess I picked up on something that you mentioned there. So you mentioned this to be attached to any scope. So this makes it it's a very fairly universal uh, bit of hardware there. Um, do you plan on using this in other therapy areas? You mentioned laparoscopy. Would you look into areas, you know, like urology or, or colonoscopy and other minimally invasive areas? Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, we're technology agnostic, which means our technology will fit with anything. To be completely hardware agnostic, it's just working with the, you know, today it's traditional laparoscopes and arthroscopes are either what's called a C-mount or a universal connector. So it's just a connection between a coupler connection between a camera and a scope. And uh, we know how to make that work, but absolutely. So uh, to work with both the, the robotic companies, to work with um, laparoscopic uh, technologies, urology is a big, uh, uh, a big opportunity. GYN is a big opportunity. So the opportunity, we can work with those technologies today, you know, with the, with the different scopes that are out there. We have uh, urologists on our scientific board, uh, advisory board, both that are um, world-renowned roboticists as well as they do laparoscopic procedures. So uh, absolutely. And um, 
the reason that it's important to, uh, we feel to be able to be not only hardware agnostic, but technology agnostic is, you know, we're, we're putting forward tremendous efforts in this case, because we, we believe this will enable us to leverage uh, all of the installed systems in the OR today to reduce data bias. So as we're collecting data, we're not focused on one company. Today, uh, any one company can collect data, but that is using a specific system. So a leading cause for reduced accuracy in AI is data bias. So we want to produce a solution um, with, with an accuracy that, that, that the world's best surgeons will trust in all their cases. So the fact that whether it's closed surgery and minimally invasive today, open surgery opportunities with handheld technologies, um, and then robotic surgeries, we have the capabilities to, to work in all across um, those procedures. We're focusing on the first 12 million procedures to begin with. Uh, in colorectal, bariatric, esophagectomy, hysterectomy, and lap coli, but we're applicable in about 55 million uh, procedures today, and that's even before we get to robotics. Fantastic, brilliant. Well, um, it sounds like there's obviously a lot of room there then for other areas. Um, I've had a question come in live um, from Brad Leahy, um, and he's asked, is there any fear from, C uh, from surgeons that AI could make them obsolete? Yeah, it's a... It's a it's a very fair question. Um, and, you know, I, I sit down and I, I think about, um, you know, people think that autonomous, you know, is, you know, when you look at autonomous cars and the, and the future of surgery is autonomy. If you think about how long it has taken to get to fully autonomous, let, let's, let's think of the car world, you know, from uh, 1912, I guess, was the first the first cars that were out there. I'm not sure. I could be off a few years. Um, um, I was just a little boy then. Um, <laughs> 15 years old. So, so <laughs> yeah. So, um, but if you think about the way that the, the, the car market and the car world has gone in the last, uh, to autonomy in the last 15 years, all of us in our cars have had a rear view camera. Um, and a rear view camera with, without having an autonomous car, provides data to the driver to allow us to make decisions. Then over years, that, that, that rear view camera uh, might beep louder if you're about to hit something. And now certain cars, it may stop the car completely. But we've gradually worked our way there. Our side view mirrors, whether it's the left rear view side view mirror in the US or the right in European countries or other places around the world, um, show little triangles or red lights now for someone that's in your blind spot. So in the, in the past, we used to have to turn over our shoulder to see if a car was in our blind spot. But now we know that there's that little light will go on. All that does is provide data for the driver, and it gives us more information that we can make decisions. I haven't got an autonomous car yet, but I have more decision-making capabilities. <laughs> and then even your seat or your steering wheel in certain models, if your car swerves out of its lane one way or the other, um, today the seat or the steering wheel may vibrate and let you know, get back into your lane, dummy, you're, you're not paying attention. So we need to do that. But what that does is that provides me information and data. So we're doing the same thing in, in, in surgery. There's the goal here is let's provide the surgeons just more information. There's 250 million surgeries that are done globally, uh, even more than that. There's the need for another 100 million surgeries, and there's not enough surgeons to do all these procedures. So if you're a physician in the biggest hospitals in the world, and you're doing a certain procedure, and you do 500 of these procedures, 300 of these procedures a specific year, you have a lot of experience. If you're a surgeon, 
that was well-trained, but is in, a, in an area of the world or an area of the country that does few surgeries a year because they're in the suburbs or they're small country or in a place where there's not a lot of surgeons around and patients have to travel far distances to see surgeons, that surgeon should have the same information on their screen and the same information like the rear view camera or the side view mirror, which I don't turn around anymore, or my seat vibrating if I make a mistake, that the most experienced surgeons in the world. And that's really what the AI is doing. The AI is not here to replace surgeons. The AI is here to enhance surgeons so we can truly democratize care. So like I said, any surgeon that has experience shouldn't be the only reason that you have success because me as a patient, I want to have the trust and confidence that my surgeon has all the information they need. I can't always be in a situation to know that they are the world-renowned surgeon that's done 500 of these procedures or 10,000 of these procedures. I'm going to a surgeon that I trust, but that's local, that's that's can provide me the care that I need. And I need to have the confidence that surgeon has the, the ability. So that's where AI, we believe, will make the biggest difference. So it's actually, it's not making them obsolete. It's more looking to optimize them really and, and bring out the best of them, I guess. I absolutely agree. And, and that's really the 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 real story. And then, uh, and then as we get into um, autonomy and we have a technology called active assist, it's going to use machine learning to optimally position scopes, but that's still based on a surgeon. I know the surgeon is doing a, a certain procedure and instead of me, what they call clutching into the, into the robot to position the scope, it's going to be positioned automatically because it knows Todd Eusen is doing this procedure. This is the position that we need. And then active pilot is our original foundational technology, which we have our original patents in, in autonomous and collaborative robotics. It's really when a system, or in this case, a robot, can perform certain functions of a surgery side by side with a surgeon. They can do different portions of the procedure that are complementing each other. The system just has more decision-making capabilities uh, to help and complement the surgeon. At no time, are we our goal is to eliminate or, or, or make surgeons obsolete. Fantastic. Good news for all the surgeons then, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, we, need, we, we, need, we, need, we need our surgeons. Good. Fantastic. I picked up on something you mentioned earlier, and that's being hardware agnostic. Um, why, does, why does that make a difference or why does that matter in the AI space? Well, like I was saying, it, it prevents data bias, number one, because we're going to be, by being hardware agnostic, first of all, for, for us from a, a, a business model and from a hospital for a, a, an acquisition model, if hardware agnostic means if you use uh, Carl Stortz, if you use Olympus, if you use Stryker, the three leading manufacturers of laparoscopic technology, if you get into robots and you're a CMR in Cambridge, if you're uh, Hugo, uh, what Medtronic is working on in the US, if you're intuitive, obviously, who owns the space. Um, for me to have a technology that we believe will make a difference for physicians, that wouldn't work with all of their systems would be would be wrong. That's closing your system and that's eliminating a large percentage of the population. If that would be why when we have this technology, um, we made the decision, we don't wanna build a robot. I mean, to build a robot was, I guess it'd take another hundred, I mean, a billion dollars of raised money to go build a robot. You do a fantastic, absolutely fantastic job with one behemoth that's out there and you may get three to 5% of the market. And as we know, historically in capital equipment, and I've been in that, that world when I was the head of Olympus and then even the head of Smith and Nephew, when you look at orthopedics, there's 
there's three major arthroscopy companies with scopes in, in, in Stryker, Smith and Nephew, and now Arthrex. You go to the OR and you look at laparoscopes. There's Carl Stortz, there's Stryker, there's Olympus. You go to GI, there's only three scopes that anyone uses um, uh, for the longest time. There's some disposables coming out now, but there's three major scopes in Olympus, Pentax, and Fuji. The same thing is going to happen based on fact. It's not me saying it's going to. I hope every robotic company works because of our model. But at the end of the day, there's going to be tremendous consolidation over time. So to lock yourself into thinking that we are going to build a robot or we're only going to work with certain systems just eliminates the majority of the market. By having every single robot and every single scope out there, in my mind, they're just carriers. I want them to take advantage of all of their success. They have wonderful features, whether it's the 4K in one or the 3D in another or the great uh, seven degrees of freedom of their robotic arms in another. Let them all take advantage of that using active inside, if you will, and having us sit with their systems to enable them. I want every robot and scope to see things that humans cannot see. Insights that can be delivered to their system so we can have robotics use actually more than they're used today. They used a tremendous amount in urology and general surgery is starting, but why shouldn't they be used more in GYN if we can identify the ureter? Why shouldn't they be used in, in GYN if we can identify sentinel node in, in, in a cervical cancer based on the data and insights? Why shouldn't they be used in certain procedures in the colon if we can tell you where blood flow is and prevent anastomotic leaks without the use of any dyes? So, we believe in all of them. And then also, like I said, the data we collect by using all of these different systems will be true data and reduce data bias because we're not just using one system and getting only their data. We're using all systems and collecting the data so we can provide insights back um, most effectively. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. Fantastic. Um, I've got another interesting question come through uh, from Edward Wozniski. Um, he's asked if you're able to discuss the relationship between Microsoft and Active Surgical and its technology. Um, is that something you're happy to discuss? Um, yeah, that, that basically we've been we've been blessed and um, and working with Microsoft. We've been basically a member of their startup program, and we're we're, we're thankful for that. And it's been a wonderful opportunity as they're looking to really continue to branch themselves into medical. So by working with Microsoft, we're able to accelerate our go-to-market with existing agreements that, that, that they have. We're working with them very closely uh, with the Azure technology to optimize storage. And then uh, we have access to, they have access to the Active Edge platform, our platform, um, that potentially could be, even be purchased at the Microsoft store. So we're working very closely. We're, we're appreciative of their help. Sally Frank is the worldwide leader of, of healthcare there, and she's been a tremendous partner and advocate. And the opportunity um, with our partnerships, we have a partnership with Microsoft, we have a partnership with Qualcomm, a partnership with NVIDIA. And um, as a startup company, to when, when companies like that believe in your technology, and we have data scientists, for example, at NVIDIA that have been assigned to Active to optimize our inferencing models. We have hardware engineers at Qualcomm that have been assigned to Active uh, for immediate use of 5G. So we can't afford to just get all that kind of talent on our own, but they're dedicating certain resources to us so we can continue to enable the opportunity to bring technology companies, medical device companies, and then Active sits right in the middle so we can be the conduit between them all. So we, you know, we can deliver all of this information and data and what's best for patients to patients and hospitals. So uh, Microsoft's been an absolute wonderful partner.
Brilliant. That was a great insight, something I wasn't aware of as well. So tell me, in terms of sort of active surgical stance, um, in regards to strategic plans and growth, you know, maybe domestically and internationally, um, what, what's the overview of your business model? What's going to be brought to the market? So, so today with Active, I mean, we um, we're in the start. We're in the middle right now of raising our Series B, our, our round of funding, and we've been we've been really blessed um, by tremendous partners. We have a, a group of partners that have that have really spent their time and helping to operationalize this business. We have uh, partners: DNS Capital, Great Point Ventures, Tau Capital, uh, Rising Tide, Sony, um, 8VC, Artist Ventures, and LRV. This is our group of of people that have, have spent time and invested in us. But over the next course of, of, of where we're going right now, we will, like I, I mentioned, our active site technology was submitted to the FDA. Uh, we'll have our first clearance in the April timeframe within the next 30 days. We've answered the questions. We feel very confident with what we're doing uh, for the FDA. We'll have our CE mark this summer. You know, we're, we're basically following the same path for that. We have true global opportunities in the in the Middle East. We have partnerships uh, already signed in India um, with some of the largest hospital systems there. We're working with our Asian entities for distribution and green channel entry uh, into China. And obviously, with my background, we have a good feel of, of the Japanese market and, and a great appreciation of the of the process to go to go there as well. So our plan is to the technology is simple enough with Active Site, the first technology, because it fits on scopes. Everybody, no matter where you are in the world, has scope technology. So this is something that can be brought in. The business model is actually one that, um, that we're very proud of, and it, it, it makes it easy for the hospital. Yeah. It's a very low cost of acquisition in that um, we're not, it, the, 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 the capital component or that little uh, image module is something that we're placing in, in the hospitals compliantly uh, through programs. And basically, we, we have a we know the average charge of a procedure. So it's basically a licensing and a subscription model. And assuming that hospitals only do one procedure a day in their operating room, that's how low we're going with our subscription model. So we have a, a one price at the end of every month that you pay based on one procedure per day. At, I mean, the, the range, you know, depending on the hospital, their complication rates, working with the hospital um, is, is, is a model that's very easy to acquire the technology and it's very seamless. If you want to visualize um, or see blood flow today or see sentinel nodes today through the injection of ICG dye, which is the gold standard, you need other capital equipment. In the past, you, there's been big acquisitions of companies like Novadac, uh, VisionSense, uh, Quest. Uh, these are systems that were built as camera systems and, and capital equipment that is purchased by a hospital, wheeled into the operating room. Um, so if you have seven or eight operating rooms in, in your suite, in your theater, you would, if you want to do them all seamlessly, and no one's buying seven or eight of those systems, they're waiting for their turn to use it if they need to, or they schedule. With Active Site, we can put that in every every operating room in every hospital uh, that wants it, and it's basically a licensing fee, um, a couple of a, a charge for a two-year contract, and um, for the hospital, like I said, it's a very ease uh, the ease of use for them to acquire the technology because. Every hospital knows their complication rates. Every hospital knows their readmission rates. Um, and that's basically what we're trying to prevent. There's preventable surgical errors are a major complication that we believe when you can see things and you have situational awareness, you can prevent that. So we have a global strategy. Um, you, you did ask what's the, the vision. We have a plan 
that we can go deliver active site and then the active insights and on the active edge platform around the world. We've built a plan that we can do it 100% by ourselves because anybody, I don't want to build a model that's completely dependent on other people to say you're either going to be a success or not because that's an immediate failure. The good news is we also know that to be most effective, we want to partner with all systems that are out there. We want to be part of their systems. We want to make sure that there's no issues with, with, with uh, combining and growing and having the opportunity in all robotics and all laparoscopes and all uh, flexible endoscopy and whatever the procedure. Um, we're a better company when we partner. Our ego's, our ego's fine. We know that active is going to work. And like I said, we can build the model to go alone, but we have, we've been blessed. Um, we, we haven't called companies, but thankfully, um, so many of these companies that I've mentioned, whether they're large scope companies, whether they're robotic companies, or whether some of the largest medical device companies in the world, all know active. We're working with, the, with many of them. We have projects going with many of them as we speak. Uh, to really see what the best partnership opportunities from distribution to co-development to co-marketing. So we're, we're, we're really honored and blessed. And I think that's ultimately how we'll be able to deliver the best care to patients. Fantastic. Brilliant. Good. Uh, well, it sounds like you've got it very much planned out and set. Um, sounds like it'll be a very interesting and exciting year for you guys. Other than obviously you mentioned that um, clear medical areas, surgical areas is obviously an area that you're focusing on and that's your focus. Outside, it doesn't have to be based on active surgical, but in terms of AI, what would you say as well are the main sort of areas that they're focused on to help the med tech market? Obviously, it sounds like clear surgical areas is, 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 a, is a key area, but what are the sort of focal points are there? You know, sometimes I, I, I think that's a dangerous word. I mean, because, oh, AI and other AI, but it, it's, it's we just want to make sure that we're providing the information that a physician needs live time. As I said, so much data is out there that you can get efficiency data, analytics, pre, pre-case or post-case. Um, Jordan, I'm an, I'm I'm an ex-athlete and I use this story, I'm really an ex-athlete, so I'm not, I'm not claiming any athletic ability. Um, I played baseball through university a um, long time ago and I, I bat lefty. And one, one of the things they say about baseball and lefties, when you face a good lefty pitcher that throws a great curveball, it's the toughest thing to do in all of sports. To a lefty to hit a lefty curveball, it's already difficult to hit a baseball when you're really a superstar when you do something well three out of ten times. Well, if I'm watching film on pitchers before we play them, which we did a lot, we had all the scouting reports, and I know they like to throw uh, certain pitches on certain counts. But you know what? When you're live in the game and they throw a pitch to you, um, that you're not expecting. I'm walking back to the dugout too many times because I'm thinking it's going to hit me, yet it falls right over the plate. And the reason I say this is in batting practice, I'm practicing against that pitch over and over and over, and I'm doing great. But when you're in the game, that's when it makes a difference. So when you're in surgery, in surgery, and all of a sudden on the, I can do all the pre-op navigation, get all this information, but you know what? Something occurs live. The patient from whether they had a, a pre-op CAT scan, whether they had navigation data that was done or other analytics that were done. The fact that I want to make sure physicians have the right information. And we're not talking about information that tells you that this is how you do your procedure. Here's some critical landmines, key critical structures. Right here, it's called the critical view of safety. This is, will let you know to prevent, to help save the bile duct during a lap coli. If you can see that, great. Here's the cystic duct. Here's the cystic artery. This is a vein. This is an artery. This is a nerve. That sounds crazy. We're not. I'm not talking about identifying things that aren't critical. 
There's a procedure in urology that you brought up before calling, called a nerve sparing prostatectomy. The hardest part about the procedure is finding the nerve and seeing the nerve. So physicians know this. So here's a procedure that we're trying to spare the nerve, yet it's very difficult to identify. So if we have world experts constantly doing ground truth data and identifying the nerves in these procedures, and then through our annotation model, labeling and saying, that's the nerve. In this case, that's the nerve, that's the nerve. And then all of a sudden you're a surgeon somewhere else in the world that doesn't do as many of these procedures. And all of a sudden, clear as day, when you're in the procedure, we're identifying the nerve. That's the kind of help that I think when AI makes a difference, it's that roadmap, it's that ways. It's not about, okay, this is cancer, this isn't. That's nice if you can tell that, but there's a lot more clinical work. The way we're identifying ground truth data and identifying key critical structures, structures, tissue, uh, perfusion, things that matter on a day-to-day basis that can reduce preventable medical errors and surgical errors that happen today. So there's all this great technology today, Jordan, and just to summarize this, there's fantastic, whether it's scopes, whether it's robots, whether it's near infrared, whether it's fluorescence, whether it's whatever, there's data that people have today, anywhere from 5% to 15% uh, colorectal procedures could end in an anastomotic leak with all this great data information and technology. There's a billion dollars spent by healthcare money in the United States on two critical structures due to damage, even though it's not a high percentage of time that they get damaged. The common bile duct in lap coles and the ureter and some GYN or urology procedures. The technology is fantastic, but even the best doctors in the world cannot always identify these things. There's vessels that are cut and clipped in cases. So to me, AI that basically just tells you that's a stop sign every time, um, that's the sidewalk or that's a child running across the street. I mean, I'm not, we're not, I'm not talking about how to do surgery on the moon yet. Uh, honest, we're talking about to make today's procedures better because the data speaks for itself. I'm a big scoreboard person. And if 15% of a certain procedure are ending in a leak or mortality or a billion dollars is spent on a critical structure damage, those are facts. Best surgeons in the world. We already have them here now. Why is that happening? So how can we help that before we start working, worrying about all the future things that we can do? And that's where we're thinking of the AI and where it plays. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, it makes complete sense. And I thank you, friends, for that question. Um, I think from there, this is probably a good place to end, really. I've, I've got everything I'd like to, to find out from this, this conversation. It's been very insightful. Is there anything you'd like to add at this stage, Todd? No, Jordan, I, I appreciate it. I, I just, um, at, at the end of the day, um, I, I try to keep things simple, even though I'm, some of the explanations might have went a little long. It's we, we want to help uh, systems and robots see things that humans can't see. We want to make sure that the best doctors in the world, we know they cannot be in every procedure around the world, but their insights can be, and it can be all crowdsourced data and expert data collected. So any doctor around the world can have this information. And ultimately, that's what democratizes surgery. And we believe in um, the ultimate goal of active surgical is to reduce patient complications, especially those that are preventable. Brilliant. Well, fantastic. Um, well, thank you very much, Todd. And thank you for joining me. Um, and thank you for everyone that's tuned in and watched as well. And thank you for your questions. Um, if anyone would like to find out more about any sort of med tech areas, we do a lot of this content creation. Check out our websites on searchandmedical.com. 
and um, we're always looking to collaborate and learn more about the space and on there as well you'll see our recruitment services so i'd like to, to leave it there really and, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me todd thank you jordan thank you todd take care